0: So then you need to have your allies, you need to have other women, you need to have other people to stand up, speak out, say this is wrong, this is not right, we need to protect our vulnerable people and the only way we can do that is strength in numbers.
1: Welcome back to Off the Gram, the show
2: where we bring you straight into the trenches with us to help you live your best life, channel your inner girl boss, and navigate the ever changing landscapes of wellness and social media. Yay! <laughs> Hi guys! <laughs> 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 uh, okay. So listen, today's guest is a real-life superstar of stage, screen, and life. She is on the National Board of SAG-AFTRA, which for anyone who doesn't know is Screen Actors Guild, American Federation of Television and Radio Artists, and the SAG-AFTRA President's Blue Ribbon Committee on Safety, as well as a founding member and board member of a little-known organization called Time's Up. (laughs) Our incredible guest works tirelessly every day for SAG-AFTRA and IRL to foster mutual respect and true equality, as well as ending the all-too-pervasive sexual harassment in her industry. She is a leader who protects members of her union and everyone she knows, especially those who are most vulnerable. This changemaker goddess has a resume of stage and screen credits and awards that would take the entire episode to list, so suffice it to say, <laughs> our guest can currently be seen starring as Raffi on CBS All Accesses hit series, Star Trek Picard alongside, you know, actor newbie Sir Patrick Stewart. (laughs) Her extensive list of credits span from Broadway to every television show you have ever loved, to Shakespeare Theater Company, to this year's Sundance Film Festival breakout, Bad Hair, and everywhere in between. Our guest is currently using her powerful voice to bring honest conversations regarding race in Hollywood to the masses. I am so thankful mm-hmm. to have my favorite Soul Cycle front row sweat sister here with us today. Hi. Please <laughs> welcome my friend, the one and only Michelle Hurd. Hey! Oh, so nice
0: to be here. I miss you guys. I so miss you, Heidi, excited. so much. So nice to be here. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Boy, so it seems every- like I'm, I, that's a lot. That's a lot. I'm, I'm tired just hearing what I do. <laughs>
1: know, that was an amazing intro. <laughs>
0: I mean. <laughs> it really was
1: a <laughs> career.
0: Yeah, you know, I think it's you know it, it stems from being a daughter of, of activists. You know, my my parents. I'm I'm biracial. My father's black. He's a Jamaican um, who was raised in Harlem, New York. His uh, his father, my grandfather, owned a, a liquor store on 125 and Frederick Douglass Boulevard. He also. Uh, drove a cab at night so I could not be more of a New Yorker. My mother uh, was born in Blackwell, Oklahoma and you know I always say she's like transparent white, you know she's very 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 fair. Um, but now of course she's the blackest white woman I know. Uh, but I I love it cuz like she at some point in her high school year she said that she she kind of looked around and she was just like no this is not where I'm supposed to be. I'm you know I I have something else I want a, a more diverse world and Uh, without anybody telling her any kind of uh, you know what she was walking into she went to Boston University to um, for college and then she moved to New York City and started working with a theater company um, of predominantly black people which I just I just love that you know like this little Oklahoma woman was just like nope I think I, I have a bigger world out there I'm gonna go check that out and um you know my parents met and uh a really cute little story. They were both um, rehearsing for a play and my mother stepped off the stage and she smoked cigarettes at the time. And she was like, does anybody have a cigarette? And my dad said, yeah, I do. And she gave, he gave him her cigarette and she kissed him, you know, say, oh, thank you. The next day uh, he said, do you have a cigarette? And she said, sure. And she gave him the pack. And um, he took a cigarette out, put the pack in his pocket, and said, "Well, next, you know, anytime you want a cigarette, you'll have to kiss me." And they framed that little that little pack of cigarettes. Oh, don't smoke anymore. But I think <laughs> that is such a All
2: cute right. story. And you met your husband acting as. Well. And I met my.
0: I know, and I met my husband in a play too. And it's so weird because it was a little different. When I walked in <laughs> to my rehearsal, I remember the. Day before the director was like the stage reading, you know, the first uh, table read rather. He was like, you know, you're gonna your your partner, your love interest is this amazing actor. Um, you're really gonna have a great time. I'm so excited, and I've been doing so much television at that time that I, I really needed to, you know, just jump into a deep a play, you know. And I was so excited. Oh, I'm gonna work with all these theater actors. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I remember coming into the rehearsal room, and I saw all these, you know, John Cryer and Missy Pyle and all these actors, you know, that I knew, and there was this one man who I didn't know, and he was sitting down, and I thought, oh my god, that's, that's Garrett Dillahunton. So I walked over to him, I came over to him, and I was like, hi, my name is Michelle Hurt, I'm playing Palace, I'm so excited to work with you. And literally, what I got was, like, he had his head turned to me, turned away, and he turned and he went, hi, I'm Garrett Dillahunt, and turned away.
1: <laughs>
0: Excuse <laughs> me? Excuse me? So I literally was like, oh, okay. And then John Cryer came over and started talking to me. And then out of the corner of my eye, I see him talking to Missy Pyle, and they're laughing and giggling. And I was like, okay, copy that. Copy that. I got your number. Okay, we don't need any of this. And then if you talk to Garrett, he always prefaces it with, this is in New York City in August. It's about you know 20 years ago. I am a native New Yorker. I often like to get around the city on my rollerblades, and, you know, 20 years ago, my outfit of choice would probably be a mini skirt and a crop top. You know, that's it. And he said, he turned to the door and he saw this Amazonian woman rollerblading in class, wearing like a handkerchief. And he, and he said, all he could think of was like, why did I wear these pants? This shirt doesn't go. My, 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 my shoes are awful. I can't. And he could not, he just couldn't put it together. Could not say anything And that during that whole like few weeks of rehearsal, I kept thinking there was something wrong with him because, you know, I'd be talking to the other cast members. We'd all be hanging out and he'd come over and inevitably he'd have something in his hand that would like flip out and like hit me in the eye. You know, it's just <laughs> like, what up with this guy? And of course we find out that he was just, he was, you know, he was, he had a crush on me like Aww. right away. It's
3: such a great point though, because so many times we think people are like flippant or they're set yes, up and yeah. they are, they are deal They have their own story running in their head. Right.
0: Exactly. Exactly. And I thought that was what I, you know, an interesting takeaway I thought was, especially as a woman, you know, I had my own um, insecurities. I projected that he didn't want to talk to me. He didn't, he didn't like what he saw or whatever. And so I closed him off. As opposed to just, as you just said, taking the time and the space and the moment yeah. to allow somebody to adjust or to figure out how to talk to each other. You know, it's, it's a very interesting sort of examination of the male and the female. And for his perspective, he was self-conscious. He was insecure. Mm-hmm. He didn't want to, you know, um, approach me either. And it's, it's, isn't it interesting that if we all could just sort of take a breath mm-hmm. and find the space for each other, um, uh, we could find a, a, a happy medium sooner. And not not jump to
1: conclusions and not make a judgment right off the bat because like, oh, they don't like me or they're being whatever, rude or whatever. I
0: was
1: going to say,
3: since we're talking about like, you know, ensemble casts and all of the amazing acting work that you do, you know, we have a weekly catch up topic every week and we had one that popped up for us. And Christine, I
1: think you were, you had it, right? Yes, definitely. Well, we all, I know we're all watching tons of shows on TV. Um, So I'm sure you guys have a list of all your favorite binge shows. Um, My husband and I actually, have finally I think we're like the last people on the planet who didn't see Downton Abbey and we, oh, yeah. we decided this is the time we were going to do it and we're down to the last season now so it's so nice though it's refreshing it's kind of a nice breath of fresh air it, it's yeah I'm usually like an action movie kind of girl and I like you know I like the fighting and the the action but this is like a much nicer tone. And I feel yeah. like we need that well, right now. So,
0: Yeah. Isn't it interesting? I, we, I did the, you know, I streamed the whole thing, of course. I was like <laughs> obsessed with it. But it's interesting because it's, I think that there's something comforting about watching it, especially during yeah. this time, because there's a, a simplicity yes. to um, the their world, even as complex as it is, because you realize that back in the day in those types of um, manners, mm-hmm. you know, you housed and employed Uh, you know, many people, you know, that family actually was keeping many groups of people alive by, by doing that. But there was a respect, there was an understanding, there was an etiquette, there was a you know a conscientious uh way of speaking to each other mm-hmm. um that we have l- you know it's we have off. literally you yeah. know tossed yeah to much like joe
3: exotic which i binge watched right i mean it's just almost the same, <laughs> oh, it's the same. thing hey, almost you know i'm just waiting same. for another joe alone. exotic <laughs>
0: You know, oh I, was to, I was going to make that parallel, and I'm so glad it, that you it did. is.
3: I just, it's just like I'm like it's uncanny. Oh my god! Remember the Joe Exotic portion of quarantine? Isn't that the big I joke? Mean, Wasn't oh it gosh. such a simpler time? <laughs> I mean, I, I mean, never watched
2: that one. I'm not like a binge watcher because I don't like to mm. sit still for mm. a you <laughs> don't <laughs> need both, still. Heidi. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, true. Yeah, but but so Michelle, you actually got me on my first binge thing ever, which was The Haunting of Hill House, like, a million years ago.
0: Oh, I think it was, like, least years ago.
2: That was the first show I ever binge-watched. And then the next show I binge-watched was Star Trek Picard, uh-huh. with Michelle Bird starring. And good
0: choice, good choice.
2: It was an amazing choice. And I have to say, I had never watched Star Trek. I'd never watched any of them. And my, you know, talk about, like, what you think in your head versus reality. You know, talking about, like, you guys meeting, you and Garrett right. versus... You know, and his. I always was just like, me. It's for
3: right, Sturges, like, like Trekkies.
2: Right. Or like, and I'd never like related with the people that kind of walked around,
1: like,
0: uh, you know, like doing all the comic cos. Yeah.
1: What's their name? They have a nickname. They're like the Trekkies.
0: Um, um uh, cos, uh, well, yeah, Trekkies. The Trekkies, Trekkies and they yeah. they do um, co- uh, Cosmo and all that yeah, kind yeah, of comic content. Yeah. yeah,
2: and and I have to say, like every single thing that I thought. Couldn't have been more wrong. It was it was one of the best produced things I've ever seen in my life. It was so well done. It was so entertaining, and for the first time ever, I like wanted to stay up way past my bedtime, keep watching (laughs) because it was so good. So thanks, Michelle.
0: (laughs) Absolutely. You know it's it's really it's kind of a I mean it's an amazing gift I have to say, especially. Uh, to find myself in this, the hands of these producers during this time, this this time period. Because I remember when I, I booked the job, um, I had this sort of like flashback to my youth um, where I, my father was an actor, um, where my parents really, particularly my dad, really wanted to encourage us when we're watching some sort of entertainment that we would see ourselves included. Because I'm sure you guys can, you know, can, can, can attest to this, that a child... Um, you know a child when they see themselves included in the world and represented in the world the um, you know the possibilities of those that child's life is expanded you know and when we don't see ourselves represented there's sort of a um, an you know a, an unconscious um, stifling of our own imagination of what we can do you know I, I said after Obama um, was first elected that I, I you know, I have two nephews, two beautiful brown nephews. And, uh, you know, all I could think of was like, if they're sitting in their school room and like for me, cause I'm a hundred, when we had our cl- our school, you know, we had the pictures <laughs> of the presidents all across the top of the room. Mm-hmm. And all I could think of was like, if they sat in that room now, mm-hmm. any child from this moment on will look up and then all of a sudden see a black man. Mm-hmm. And by the way, now we'll see a black uh, woman as yes. a vice president, yes. but, you know, maybe that's here we go. Um. <laughs> But uh, but I remember my my dad um, would always encourage us to watch Star Trek. And because it is a show, Gene Roddenberry, like back in the day, he got it. It's a show about inclusion, exclusion, otherisms, immigration, diversity, diversity. Uh, it's literally about all of the other isms. You know, we tackled these topics. There's one in the original series where these characters are, um, you know, uh, black and white, like one side's white, one side's black. And, you know, like the black side is on the right side and the, you know, they're opposite. And that tiny differentiation made them hate each other, Mm -hmm. made them hate each other so much so that they destroyed their planet with their hate of one side has the black on this side and the other has it on that side. And, you know, it's such a, and I like having that sort of realization and then being in this, this show and sort of seeing like, Oh, we tell the stories of people who have been disenfranchised of people who have been mired by their, sort of hate or um, small mindedness. And, and we sort of reveal it in a way that only uh, under an awning of sci-fi, you can do it. You know, I've I played so many cops, you know, detectives, lawyers, all this stuff. I've made a real conscious effort as a woman of color to choose only roles that are strong and um, in charge and, um, you know, have an impact in a way that I am seen uh, because I'm conscious of how, Um, the little Michelles um, are out there and they're looking for somebody. And, you know, I used to joke, and of course now I feel like I have to change that joke because of the, you know, violence and stuff. But I always used to joke with my managers that if it was a role um, and the choices between wearing heels or carrying a gun, I I choose the gun every time because I'm not interested. I'm not interested in that character. I'm not interested in, in dolling myself up and, and being seen for that reason alone. I want to be seen as a woman with a brain and with power and with intelligence and who enters into a room to, uh, to create um, a disturbance, mm-hmm. <laughs> a good one or a bad one, you know? So yeah, it's, it, Star Trek has always been, now that you see it. Uh, I mean, I loved the fact that they were telling the, the a story through the point of view of a man of a certain age, an older man with a, um, you know, it. I'm not going to say it because just in case people haven't seen it, but there's a situation he's been given, you know, that he has to figure out, and I love that. We don't usually see that kind of jumping off point. Yeah. Uh, so not only do we are we talking about inclusion and exclusion and diversity, but we're also dealing with ageism and like how you know that uh, yeah. is not always heralded or. Um, amplified in our world. In fact, it's usually like, oh, we just keep grandma in the closet or whatever. But, you know, so um, yeah, it's incredible how many
2: topics you can deal with and really like sink your teeth into under that umbrella of Mm -hmm. Mm
0: sci-fi. It's interesting, isn't it? It's really, it's almost like, you know, yeah, you're like, well, we'll have those people are the blue people and Mm -hmm. we hate the blue people and those guys have horns. And, you know, it's all this stuff and you're watching it and eating your popcorn and you're like, yeah. And then all of a sudden you realize like, oh, but that blue person still has you know, a heart and a breath and 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 a, a you know and a life and deserves to have a moment in to be heard and seen you know and and understood. It's it's really I'm so thankful I, and to be in this moment like during the beginning of the uh, pandemic or the lockdown. My I love my group. I call my crew my motley crew. My little. My little um, Star Trek game with the motley crew, um, and like literally, we're all just like, "What can we do? We need to do something. We need to push the agenda. We need to, you know, whatever." And so we call the Zoom with our, you know, producers or whatever, and uh, you know, I, I cried. I almost cried because you know, Alex Kurt- Kurtzman is like, "Yep, what are we going to do?" And I was like, "Well, you know, I'm a woman of color, and this is my show too, and I need to have a person of color in the hair, hair, and makeup room because, you know, whatever." And he's like, "Yep." got it and I was like okay and then we're like well we need to have more people of color directing and in the writers room okay you got it I mean he you know they just get it they have they really understand the what Gene Roddenberry was uh, you know was trying to set forth in the very beginnings of Star Trek it's it's it, I'm, I, I'm so thankful so appreciative yes.
3: That's so powerful. And I think it's a great, I'd love to just kind of use that as a jumping off point to segue yep. into our topic for today, because this is Jamie speaking. I don't have any bin shows because I have like a five-year-old and my bin show is Peppa Pig. So that's as, as interesting as I get. <laughs>
0: there you go. But, uh,
3: <laughs> but but seriously, uh, this just is such a testament to the work that you're doing. So let me dive into the topic for today yeah. so we can, we can really dig in. How does change happen? So many of us know that change is required, but we don't quite know the right steps to make it happen. Some make the fatal error of staying quiet in the hopes of not harming anyone, afraid to say or do the wrong thing. Sometimes we think we're the only person who feels things are wrong, since some things like sexual harassment and racism have been grotesquely normalized and accepted as, quote, just a part of life. Thankfully, with the courage of the amazing humans who spoke up and continued to speak up as part of the Me Too movement and all the inspiring souls bringing Black Lives Matter to the surface and capturing horrific moments on camera, we as a society have finally started uncovering, and have just begun to take steps to remedy, the plethora of wrongs that have gone unrecognized for decades and centuries. So how do we go from wanting to speak up and righting wrongs to actually enacting change? Here today, we are so excited to have Michelle, because she is not only an award-winning actress, but an advocate and a change maker. She's going to discuss with us finding the courage to speak up and make that change. So thanks Mm. for being here with us, Michelle. And we have so much to learn from the work that you do.
0: Yeah. You know, it's what we all can do, right? It's, it's, it's just baby steps. And, you know, two things, two people who, um, who have influenced these moments in time right now, um, like time's up. One of our founding people is Gloria Steinem. Mm -hmm. And Gloria always used to say, we'll say um, this is a marathon, not a sprint, right? This is a marathon, not a sprint. So you think about like the women's movement, what the women's movement started in like 1848, 1848 to 1920s, right? And then we had some more movement with the feminist movement in the 1960s, right? And then we have the ERA, the Equal Rights Amendment, which is still, we're still waiting for it to be ratified. Mm -hmm. It needs two thirds, it needs 38 states to get ratified. Mm -hmm. So remember, 1848, 2020, like most women think, oh, the equal rights amendment that was passed, right? Like we already have that. Nope, nope. That's Crazy. still sitting on someone's desk. We're still waiting for I think Nevada or something. We're waiting for two or more states to get that thirty eighth to get it actually ratified into our into law, which is insane. And then as well, I think of especially right now because we just he just passed John um, Robert Lewis, uh, his his bow, you know body of work or body of commitment to the civil rights movement. And I have a quote, which I, I really like that he, he said, cause you know, we're saying, how do we, how do we create change, right? How do we do this? How does it happen? So he said, do not get lost in a sea of despair, be hopeful, be optimistic. Our struggle is not the struggle of a day, a week, a month, a year. It is the struggle of a lifetime Never be afraid to make some noise and get in trouble. Necessary trouble. Good trouble. So with those things, you know, you sort of go, okay, all right, right. So I might want change right now because it's, there's too much injustice right now. And if it doesn't happen right now, what happens? If you make that your doctrine, like I'm going to make this happen right this second. It doesn't happen this second. So what happens tomorrow? Do you stop? Do you go, well, nothing, you know, that didn't happen. Let me look at something else. No, you keep your eye on the prize. I always say, you know, the civil rights movement, they fought, were beaten, were killed to sit at the counter of a diner. But then they got to sit at that counter. Mm -hmm. Their eye is on owning the diner. But we got to get to the counter first each step is a, is, should be celebrated, should be supported um, and should be built on. So anything, any moment in time where you, you know, you witness, you know, like for an actor, you know, I'm obviously one of my main focuses is to create safety protocols on sets. This is from times up to, you know, where I'm doing on SAG after boards and you know, yes, yay! We got in this new uh, contract. We have some phenomenal um, protections and protocols and things that there will never be a time where an actor is on set naked unless they have written it in their writer. Nudity is not even allowed on our in scripts in sag after uh, contracts anymore. Nudity means a modesty garment. Um, if you want to show your body, cause there are people who do and God bless them. You can write it in your writer. There's never going to be a time where a producer can come up to you on set or a director can talk, come to you on set and say, Hey, listen, just, you know, how about do one of these? It's not allowed because it's, you have 48 hours before your, um, intimacy scene is they, they, everybody on set has to know exactly what it is, what the parameters are. Producers have to be, uh, liable for that. I mean, you know, we've, cre- we've safeguarded these situations, but with that, look out for each other look out for each other if you're an actor who is perhaps a series regular or you know feels a little more uh, solid look out for your sisters and brothers for your background artists for the ones who are a little nervous for the 20-year-old who's it's her first time be an ally be an ally we make change by you know supporting each other looking out for each other taking those those little steps I, I will, you know, I'll run across the street if I see a little, you know, a little mixy girl or boy with crazy hair. I, I'm i the crazy person who will run across the street just so I can go, hey, oh, my God, I love your hair. That is kicking. you. I love you. You look gorgeous. Because I never had that. Mm. I never had that. When I was growing up, you know, it was the, the like, like Charlie's Angels world, you know, like Farah and all that stuff. And all I wanted to do was to be able to go like that. I wanted it to like flip. And I thought like, that was pretty. And you know, I had stuff that was just going, you know, Crazy hair, Mm -hmm. wackadoo. I wasn't for anyone who can't see
2: Michelle. She has the best hair that Heidi that (laughs) I've ever ever. ever
3: seen. But
0: it's gorgeous.
3: But yeah, it wasn't. It wasn't celebrated. It it, it was a time when it it wasn't wasn't celebrated, and it was also a time when speaking up or just kind of holding your own as a woman certainly wasn't celebrated. And so many young actors in Hollywood were trying to be in Hollywood felt yeah. the pressure to the, the quote unquote casting couch. Right. And they felt the pressure to succumb. Everybody thought they had to sleep their way in to get a job in, in a lot of industries, not just acting.
0: That's right. Tell us exactly. a little bit
3: what it was like coming up through that experience. Cause you've been in this world a long time and then being one of the people that was brave enough to put her hand up. Like how did yeah. you navigate that?
0: Yeah, it's really, it's kind of interesting. I, um, I had, you know, when I got out of college, I did tons of theater, like no paying theater gigs. Right. And I was like, you know, this is phenomenal. And then like, you're like, wow, I got to make up a living at some point. You know, someone should give me a paycheck. How am I going to do that? I'm a terrible waitress. I'm a terrible receptionist. I have no skills in doing these things. What should I do? So I started doing like a bunch of background work and um doing stand in work and all this stuff. And that led me to work on the Cosby show as a stand-in, and you know, Woo! Yay! I'm on the Cosby show. This is awesome. Everything's great. And within the first, you know, couple of weeks, you know, PAs are, you know, coming over saying, ah, you know, Bill would like to see you in his, in his dressing room, you know? And you're thinking you're, you're like to 19, 20. You're like, I am seen. He's going to write a show for me. I'm going to have a get. you know, you, you, you go there. Cause you're, um, because you're joyful (laughs) because we're hopeful because we uh, have a dream, you know, and, um, uh, you know, uh, I used to be like a little teen because I'm a native New Yorker. As I said, born and raised in Greenwich Village. I went through a little bit of like a little delinquent kind of punk kind of time, little, little problem child sort of we area. We all did,
3: girl. We all we did. We all did, right? <laughs> so I
0: did, I did all my stuff at that point, And during this period, I literally was like, I don't drink. I don't, ju- I don't do anything. I was just like, cleanse the body. Cleanse it. I've already done that in my childhood days. I don't do that. Um, after a while of going into you know, his dressing room where we would do these acting exercises, um, he would, every now and then come, I come, he'd come in and I, he'd say, you know, oh, I've got this great brandy you should try or this great da, 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 whatever. And because I was, I don't drink, I was like, I don't drink, I don't do any of that. Right. Um, and then at one point he said, uh, I'd love to see you with your you know, hair straightened. Why don't you come over tonight? Uh, you can take a shower and, uh, straighten your hair. And, um, it was at that moment where like the hairs on the back of my head just kind of um, stood on end, and and I I was just I looked at him. We locked each uh, eyes, and I was just like, "Well, I work tomorrow, so why don't I just come to work tomorrow with my hair straightened?" And we, you know, we had this moment of like, got "I got I I got your number exactly." And I I I, I should accept. I should be tr- more revealing because I want anybody who's listening to to hear the acting exercises that he did with me he would put his hands on my body. So there was like this concept of like, you know, um, imagine a glass ball. He would be behind me. I'd be leaning up against his back, my uh, chest, my back against his chest. He would have his hands around. He put his hand over my sort of my chest and and a hand low on my abdomen. And then he would say, imagine this thing and start to sort of do this. Right. Mm -hmm. So I was realizing, and and it's weird because it happens and you're sort of like, it's okay, whatever. And then each time you're sort of like, Nope, Nope. I, I do believe he just touched my, my titas. That might've been my hoo-ha. What, what And you just, and it's a weird thing. So when that moment happened and he said, come over, I was just like, you know, no, no. So, Cut to, you know, we do that. I, I, I talk to my manager. I'm like, I'm out. I don't want any of this. We talk to producers. We talk to NBC. We talk to casting. We talk to everybody. So that's why, you know, the whole thing about like, nobody knew. Everybody knew. Everybody knew. Everybody knew we knew. And I, I made a decision that I was not going to be a part of. Um, he was not going to be a part of my world. So I extricated myself. Didn't speak on it at all you know, I got myself out of that situation. What gave you the you know, courage
1: to do that? Do you think it was like the way that you were raised yeah, or I was, yeah, came I was, out because a lot of people don't have that in them. And, and, right. yeah. so sad. No, I was,
0: don't. yeah, I was going to say, Heidi, I was going to say, um, my, I'm a, my father's daughter. I'm I literally, there was just something that, you know, I just knew I was just like, you know, why am I going to go to your house and take a shower? Like, it just seems like such a, like it's this insane thing to do and also my father was an actor you know and and an activist the same age and an activist exactly and they're the same you know eight. i was like what do you that's gr- what are you doing what are you doing it just i just knew something was wrong you know and we tried to you know get people alerted to it they they basically said i mean there was at one point someone said well you should you know you're very lucky that he's chosen you i mean it's mm. insane and i also do remember like later later um contesting cuz he did it's like a predator pure predator He, he would um you know, sort of say, don't talk to any of the other stand-ins. Don't talk to the other actors. Don't tell them what we do in here. People get jealous. People are spiteful. You know, he he honed. You know, really had the tools to silence you, thinking you're that. You know that this is going to be great for you. So I didn't speak anything. And then like later, many years later, you I ran part into your standards later on no, this is what happened. I, Cause I wanted nothing to do with it. Like I, I, I wanted nothing. To, I wanted my name and his name to not have anything to do with each other because he has nothing to do with my career. He has nothing to do with my life. He's a disgusting person. And I extricate mm-hmm. myself. Literally. I was sitting here in my place in, in, in California and I was watching, I'm, I'm going to just say all of it, but I was watching the view and they, on the view, they were talking about all the different women that were coming up, you know, and there was just like, there's like 30 women and, you know, they're saying all this, but some of them, you know, probably gold diggers that I don't know because it's never been tried. You know, they were just saying they were defending. And I literally called up my sister, Adrian, and I was like, I'm so mad. You know, I cannot believe this is happening. This is so irritating and blah, blah, blah. And, And on my Facebook you know, I have my friends, my, some ladies of color who are going, these people are gold diggers. You know, why do they want to take down a black, you know, all this stuff? And I was just like, I was so mad. And I was like, you know what? I'm just going to put it on my Facebook, my personal Facebook. I'm just going to put it on. So I literally was like, look, to my friends, it's just so that you're learned and informed so that you're not speaking out of ignorance. This is my one firsthand experience. This is just mine. And I wrote it down. Then literally I got a, you know, like a private message from somebody who was like, Hey, Michelle, this is really important. Can we release it to the press? I have a friend, my brother works at showbiz tonight. And I was like, Nope, 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 Nope. This is for my friends to inform them because also mind you guys, those 30 women it's out 45 now. Thank you. We're getting raped over the coals. (laughs) We're getting, yes, they were being raped. They were like villainized. and, And they were raped by this man. They, he didn't, they were raped by this man and they told them and people weren't listening to them. I wasn't, but I, I needed to make sure that my people knew. So, of course, this person releases it to the press, and literally within a day, like a day or two, people are knocking on my doors. TMZ, All Access, everybody. And then the next uh, um, uh, view, like on Monday or Tuesday, on the View, it was insane. They were like, "Huh? Well, Michelle heard that actress from Law and Order. You know, she says this, so." I guess maybe it's true because she's not a gold digger. And literally that little moment like wow. validated but it validated you know over thirty women who were speaking their truth. Mm-hmm. How dare they? How dare they? Because I'm an actor on a TV show, you believe my words as opposed to someone who is literally telling you I was drugged, I woke up with my you know, clothes undone. Infuriating. So you know, I was reached out as well by, you know, the survivors and I have, we've all chatted. We have like a group, you know, we were, were there, but I still did not want to have my face or my name be the impetus for the, the class action because these women are human beings mm-hmm. and they should be valid. Why? Because I'm an actor, that's the only reason that my voice is more more respected to them. I because there was a time, and you could Google it now. I mean, first if you Google my name, hopefully Star Trek comes up. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if you Google it and you look down, you'll see Michelle Heard Cosby, which is what I never wanted. To have I just mm-hmm. never wanted because he's he got nothing to do with me. He got nothing to do with me.
2: I actually but, to try to like fill out your bio as opposed to like just reading a resume. I. Did Google your name. This is Heidi speaking. And I've known Michelle for years and I'm obsessed with her because I love her because she's the nicest we human. I each other. <laughs> um, she's a ray of sunshine
0: when she walks into a room.
2: Um, but Cosby did not come up in like the first three pages, just so you know, for your personal. oh, I love
0: that. Oh, I, I appreciate that. And it's, you know, cause this is a, a truth, you know, this is a thing that, you know, um, and, and then many survivors will talk about this. I'm not defined by that individual he had problems Mm -hmm. and I'm not going to be, you know, part of his problem. I have my own life to live. And it's, you know, it's one of the things that we all have to really remember when, when survivors come forward, that we have to support them. You have to hear them. You have to not judge them, Um, give them the benefit of the doubt. And, you know, there's cancel coach culture all over the place and people like, well, I don't believe this. What I got you. But it's incredibly difficult. Thing. One of the things that I'm most proud of is, uh, you know, I'm Time's Up. Uh, I'm also one of the members of Time's Up Legal Legislation and Policy Committee. And we changed in um, New York the statute of limitation for rape in the second and third degree from five to 20 and five to 10. And I'm really proud of that because it's, you know, the Cosby and HW uh, Harvey Weinstein, you know, those are really an and. and like all these young men um, who've been abused by priests over you know decades and decades we really see how it takes a, a period of time sometimes for people to be able to speak about it it's not that they're waiting for a good time to release this information they are traumatized some people have pushed it down so far that they only something triggers them and then they're like you know, something happened to me, something happened to me and they still haven't even be, been able to articulate it. So, you know, the I, I'm, I'm so glad that we were able to do that for New York. I would love to get rid of the statute of limitation all together, but once again, baby mm-hmm. steps, marathon, not a sprint. We take mm-hmm. the gains that we can, um, but it really is all about listening, believing, supporting, um, being an ally to people who are vulnerable and need Someone who's loud and, um, and strong to, to stand by their side and, and make sure that they are taken care of and protected. And we should all be doing that for each other. Wouldn't it be a, you know, wouldn't it be a great world? You know, yeah. Wouldn't it be a really beautiful place to live if we all looked out for our neighbors? We, and Doesn't it
1: seem like it's so like saying that and hearing you say that, doesn't that seem like, is it that hard to do that? And you just, it's sometimes it's just so infuriating with everything that's happening right now, but it, yeah. it just seems like such simple steps and solutions. And it's like, why can't we, we're smarter than this? Why can't we're we all just this. figure this out? I know, we're
0: smarter than this.
1: And also, it made me think of what you said about
2: Cosby segregating you and whispering, like, don't tell anyone else, they'll be jealous. People in places of power who are abusers tend to segregate the people they're abusing and make them feel like they can't talk to anybody. And they do use techniques like saying, you are special, and they'll be jealous. And, you know, it's not always in the vein of, like, I'm going to kill your brother if you tell anyone. It's not even that You're right. bad often. It's so much more subtle. And it goes hand in hand with smear campaigns yeah. for, the, for the women who reached out about Cosby, you know, spoke out originally. And, yeah. P- I mean, think about, like, I can't even believe the women of The View did that. That's
0: I know. It's, it's, and, and the women, exactly. And that's a really good point, too, Heidi, because, I, you know, I hope people hear that, you know, you can find yourself... In a situation with a predator, um, and and literally find yourself. You know, you think like the boogeyman's going to come, and I'll know the boogeyman. Mm-hmm. He's not always the boogeyman. Mm-hmm. It can be literally you you somebody who you trusted, someone who um, you know is pru- is is pruning you. Like he's, they're literally saying all the right words, and and um, but those key things about. Don't talk to anybody else. Don't share this information. All those should be, you know, red, 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 uh, super red flag. flags. Yes, exactly. Because that's, you know, if you're doing something that you're excited about, you're proud about, whatever there's no reason not to share that, right. To, to get that um, the support and the, the excitement of the entire family and friends around you. And if someone's telling you, you know, stay into this small box, only talk to me, only converse with me about these things. Those are really key uh, bits of information for all of our people, our vulnerable individuals, men and women to understand that that is a predator setting you up mm-hmm. and you need to exit that, you know, space, get an ally, get many allies. And, um, you know, uh, whether your choice or not leave that environment completely or amplify what is going on and um, call the person out. And it's hard. And again, how can I say that to someone who's, you know, their livelihood sort of, you know, like a a farm workers or, Mm -hmm. you know, the migrant farm workers or the um, in times up, we had a, a day, of listening. We called it the day of listening where we brought, um, uh, all these women in from different vocations to talk so that we could listen and hear what is happening out there. And from hospitality, people from, uh, uh female news anchors from Olympians, we all now know, um, what that doctor did, uh, you know, rest, everybody. And, and, and I, you know, it was so hard for me not to just, um, Want to burn down the house, you know, yeah. because these people like, you know, at home nurses who are taking care of the wife, the husband is abusing and mm-hmm. saying, if you tell you will be kicked out and you won't have money. to I mean, it's just so egregious and we need to be there for them you know, for their voices to be heard because they're afraid they, they, they speak out and they lose their livelihood. So then you need to have your allies. You need to have other women. You need to have other people to stand up, speak out, say, this is wrong. This is not right. We need to change legislation. We need to protect our vulnerable people. And the only way we can do that is strength in numbers In, in being persistent. I mean, it's amazing. Like right now with, with all the, uh, um, um, all the protests that have been happening with BLM at one point in the, um, uh, earlier like last I mean it's crazy because it's been going on for like five mm-hmm. six months now. I mean this has been amazing. Um, but like when it first started, I remember saying to my husband, maybe a month in my husband's white. I remember saying, you know what I would I, I, I almost feel like every person of color needs to step back and let our our mm-hmm. sisters of who are not of color step forward, our sisters and brothers because they they're the reason that these mo- these movements have been going on for so long is that it's now a diverse group. If this was just black people, it would have stopped a long time ago. There would have been a lot of, you know, I don't even know how, but it would not have gotten this momentum. We see the entire world having these protests. You can go to, different countries where there's nary a person of color and they're having these protests about equal rights. This is why our momentum is continuing because we are, you know, strength in numbers, persistence, you know, like we need change. We will not sit down anymore. We have, we continue to sit down because we, we do this and we get silenced or appeased, you know, like here, here's a little something for you. Mm. Um, You know, but we need to speak out. I mean, could you imagine if we all did this with um, gun control, you know, like it all like, just, just, just everybody out there and saying, we need to protect each other, our children, our vulnerable people, the, you know, this cannot stand. And, so and again, what do you
2: think is different between the Black Lives Matter movement and, for example, like after the shootings in Stony Brook, when people did get riled up yeah. and then it died down. So what, and, and, you know, I heard you say that everyone everywhere got behind it, but what do you think was the yeah.
0: thing it, that it changed, changed that? Yeah. I, I talk, I think about that a lot. I converse with, you know, my friends about that. And uh, honestly, it's the um, blessing and the curse of social media, honestly, mm-hmm. and the pandemic. It's very interesting. Mm-hmm. We're all locked in. We're all sort of in our, you know, our, you know, self secluded places or whatever, shut, shut ins. Um, and like I said to, 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 my husband, as a person of color, when I saw the Aman Aubrey tape, when I see the young man who was jogging,
1: mm.
0: who was jogging 25 years old, get murdered, a modern day lynching on camera. And when you track it, that the justice system handed off the rights, literally like, oh, I worked with the guy, so I'm not going to do it. I hear you guys do it. Well, you guys do it. Da, da, da. You know, it's, it's, it, it's fine. It's taken care of how easy that that law, you know, that that the police department um, sort of put it under the the carpet, whereas we all saw it. Like we all we saw it. People sitting at home in the pandemic, we saw it. Mm. And that moment, um, and then George Floyd, and then Breonna Taylor, and then I mean, and then and then and then you know Elijah McLean, That that is I I am like haunted by that. I'm haunted. I've you know I've. I know many people on the spectrum. I have a son who's a, a, a nephew who's speech delayed. I, I, and, you know, the concept that somebody would touch him and they couldn't understand what he was saying or they would write it off as like, ah, he's on drugs when he's trying to talk, when he's trying to tell you his person and get murdered from that. I think the amount of access and availability of seeing those things firsthand, the entire world, and realizing that those were really unjust situations, um, just it it was a perfect, um, a perfect sort of recipe for explosion of 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 voices and movement and Mm -hmm. a righteous indignation of being. Silenced and not being heard, so and knowing I, it's, all it's, the
1: things before that we didn't see because of social. You know, that's just I a mean, snippet. Imagine it's even it's so infuriating thinking of of just the day. You know, the day before that, and the day before that, and all the crap yeah. that's been going on, and how right.
0: the decade before that, under the rug the, a century, the years, before, yeah, the century before that. You know, if you think about like what we saw on yeah. those few tapes especially Ahmed, especially Ahmed and and Elijah, but Mm -hmm. Ahmed, because those guys are not, they're not cops. What are you guys doing? What are you doing? What are you doing? Why are you, why was it so easy for you to say, I see a black man running, grab your rifle. Let's jump in the truck. Mm -hmm. Why was that so easy? That should not be an easy decision. And the fact that it was easy is, is part of the systemic problem because Mm -hmm. it's literally, um, they, they know (laughs) that they can get away with that. And that's, that's where we have to create change. But yeah, I, you know, that, that I think about that too, like all these cases that people are coming up with now saying, "Look into where, how my child was killed. Look into how my daughter was, is still missing. Look into what happened to these people that happened four, five, six, seven, 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. And, and, and we should, and we should, because now we see how things are covered up, how people with certain perceived privileges can, you know, uh, feel the right to take someone's life you know we once again where are our allies where is our concept of where's our compassion our empathy where's our humanity
3: humanity is is the key word it is and i think that for so many of us perhaps there was just a real lack of understanding of what systemic racism was is that it existed you know we all think, you know, we're not racist, and yes, no, outwardly right. we're not racist.
0: Right.
3: However, if we, what we've all learned is that if we're not taking a stand to start to really change the tide of uh, just the ethos, right? then yeah. we're missing the mark. I think in the early days of BLM, it was very difficult. Uh, you were so scared to make a misstep. And now, alternatively, on kind of the back end of the pinnacle of some of the rioting, there's a lot of, you know, if your feed is going back to normal, what is mm. wrong with you? And I think a lot of people now are like, well, so now what, right? right. And you're kind of scared to ask because we've also mm. been told it's it's not black people's education uh, sorry responsibility to educate white people on their pain and we I understand yeah. that to be true however yeah. at the same time just uh, in the vein of having a human conversation how mm. can we continue to move the dialogue forward how can we enact change in a way where we are, where we're contributing to the end of systemic racism. Like, are there any things that pop out to you that you say, you know, if I can leave you with one thing, it's this.
0: Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's interesting. I, I always, I always bring this up. There was a Broadway show um, many years ago called, called Avenue Q.
3: Mm-hmm. And
0: you you saw it and it's Muppets. With, like Muppets. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was, it's all Muppets. And there's this one song yeah. in it called everybody's a little bit racist. And mm-hmm. I remember listening to being in the, the theater and listening to that. And I, was looking around to my sides at all the different colors and all the different people, economic backgrounds, the whole thing. And everybody is smiling and laughing and enjoying and embracing it. Right. So why don't we just start there? Mm. Everybody is a little bit racist and the word racism and racist is a really challenging thing for people to own. Because when you say racist, you think Ku Klux Klan, Mm. you think, burning a cross on someone's, you know, lawn, lynching, you know, and and of course you want to go, I'm not a racist. I would never do that. Are you kidding? That's bad. I would never do that. So what do we have now? Now we've been introduced to unconscious bias. (laughs) It's fine. That's fine. Whatever words we can use that will enter into a conversation. If it has to be unconscious bias, fine. Let it be that way. But we have to, we cannot move forward until we all acknowledge our own um, unconscious bias (laughs) um, and and therefore our own contribution to the systemic change. Like, here's a perfect example, and and not a negative at all. My goddaughter here in California, I love her. She's great. Gabby Beauvais, she's phenomenal. Um, She, during this whole thing... she's white, uh, during this whole thing, she and her friends have been like, you know, out and, and, and protesting and putting up flyers and, you know, bop, 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 doing the whole thing. And I remember talking to, um, um, her parents at one point and, uh, it was like eight o'clock at night and, you know, on a Friday or something like that. And I said, well, oh, let me talk to Gabby. I, I want to you know, ask her something. And they were like, Oh, you know, she's out, she's out protesting with her friends and, you know, she's, you know, you know, whatever. And I was like, Oh, Okay. And I hung up and I sat there for a moment and I was like, wow, wow. My sister and I, there's no way that those two, my nephews, those two brown boys would be out at eight o'clock at night on a Friday night protesting Mm. without us knowing exactly where they are. I don't even think we would let them out because we could get a phone call. That's, and that's, that's that kind of concept of like, oh, Oh, the very, the very fact that I, you know, you know, as a white person can say, go ahead, honey, go, you go do your thing. Mm-hmm. You go and you, you just, you know, don't wake me up when you come home. You know, God bless you. Have fun. And, and yes. Yay. Yay. I'm, I love that they're protesting, but understanding that a black person can't actually have that freedom of allowing their children to just go do, to protest, you know, to do the thing we want, because we are afraid that they are going to get killed. So this is, you know, it's, it's that, that unconscious bias, that systemic racism that is just part of our, um, our, our fabric. I love like during this time period, my, my husband and I to to pass time, we read to each other and I'm, I'm going to be truthful. My husband reads to me. I don't, I, I'm, I'm like, okay, baby, you go ahead read, you know, we sit out in the backyard and, but we do because we, you know, we both love books so much and we would read a book and I'd be like, oh, this is so good. And I give it to him afterwards. And at a certain point we were like, let's read them together because we want to en- enjoy them. Right. I love that. It's it's great. You guys try, try it. It's, it's really a lovely experience. Um, But one of the books we decided to read during this period uh, was, you know, we read like fantasy book and then we read white fragility um, because we just, you know, and what I love about that, and it was great to have a white man and a person of color because we could talk about stuff. And what he has done now is he's like, he even questions his actions. You know, he's looking at things that he does. He's, he's viewing like, now, why am I thinking of doing that? Am I you know, because I have pity, because I think this person needs my help, or is it because I want to do, make change? You know, just asking yourself these mm-hmm. kind of questions and looking out for those things, having conversations, tough conversations with people. Um, you know, what do I always say? I'd rather have a uncomfortable conversation mm-hmm. than a, um, uh, than a dangerous situation. Mm-hmm. Right. So let's, let's have that conversation so that the situation doesn't have to be a life or death thing. Mm-hmm. And it, and it, you know, my mother, her parents, you know, her family disowned her. They didn't even want to let her, she's got five brothers. They didn't want to tell her when her father passed. And at that moment, my grandma was like, no, you better call Marilyn Sue. And you tell her that her daddy has died. And he, she'd come down here in Oklahoma and mm-hmm. bury her to her father, you know, because they, they, they're, but because she'd married a black man, like they had, they had moved. When my father came back from the war, my, my dad enlisted in World War II at 18 years old. And you understand why black men enlist, right? Because they're perceived as humans. Mm-hmm. They're given rights. <laughs> I will die for you so that you can call me a soldier and a man. And, yet, and my dad was a part of a black platoon, 18 years old, who liberated Um, uh, concentration uh, uh, prisoners at Dachau. When he came in, it was right at the end where, I'm sure if you guys know your histories there, the uh, Nazis tried to destroy all their evidence and, you know, they would they made bonfires of bodies and, you know, just awful stuff because when they left, they just wanted to, you know, erase what they'd done. Mm -hmm. And my father says he remembers coming through the gates and there was bonfires of bodies and he could smell, you know, it was a smell that he'll never forget, blah, blah, blah. And he said it was silent, silent. Couldn't, you know, nothing, there was no movement. And then all of a sudden these arms and hands and stuff started coming out of the woodwork because they were the prisoners who were hiding. And they said, they said, black angels, black angels, Mm -hmm. because they knew they weren't Nazis because they were black black angels black angels and cut to like decades later he my dad's in um, new york and he's on the bus and he sees someone looking at him and new yorkers you know were like don't look at me so he's you know sitting there kind of uncomfortable and he's getting ready to get off the bus and this person comes over and he goes do you think i would forget the face of the black angel that saved me oh
1: my god
0: but so how beautiful that is right how beautiful that is back to when he came home from the war when he came home from the war, and he's eighteen, nineteen years old, and he's in you know New York City, and he sees two white people fighting, he steps in for into them to to separate them. The cops are called, and my dad's head is on the hood of the cop car. Shit. So you know these things, like he, you know it's insidious, right? It's insidious because even when you try to do the right thing, you can still be hit with this, with, with evil, with, you know, just short sightedness. How about, how about we say it that way? So all that to say, you know, the hill that we're going up to change is, is, is steep and we will stumble back, but we're still going up that hill. We have our eye on that prize. It's a marathon. It's not a sprint. We have to stay solid focused true um reach our allies try to acknowledge in ourself what we could do to change what we could do to help contribute to the movement whatever movement it is the women's rights the you know civil rights and and really civil that's the thing that's sort of crazy is that civil rights are all our rights you know, it's not like we're going. You know, people of color are like, "Well, you know, let me get mine." You know, and then you guys, you know, figure out yours. We're, it's trying to just get everybody on the same page to acknowledge that we're all humans. I'm, as I said, I'm a native Greenwich Village, you know, uh, a child. My normal normalcy is LGBTQ. Like my neighbor, I remember when Transparent came out, and everybody was like, "Oh my god, this is so amazing!" Did you ever know this is crazy? And I'm like, "Well, that's just my neighbor's, you know, mother father." Like. It was her father and now it's a mother. That's what I grew up with. It's normal. And, you know, I, I love that that was, I, you know, I was more used to seeing man-man, girl-girl than normal cis relationships. But those people are, are challenged and, and trying to, you know, move the decimal forward as well. And they are people that need our, you know, allyship. They need our voice as well. They're part of the movement. If we could get everybody on board to just, it's just it's just literally to be able to send my child out to, to demonstrate if they want and know that they are going to come home. Mm. It's just to try to work to that place so that I don't have to fear that they're going to be Lucy. you know, my eldest at 13 was in New York was stopped by a couple of cops. Stopped by the one who has a, yeah. Stopped. And they said, and, we're, and my other sister, not, not his mom, my other, his other aunt was with him and said, what are you doing? What are you doing? And they're like, well, he fits a, um, he fits a description. It's 13 years old. It's 13 years old. What are you doing? What's the description? Black, black person, black male.
1: This is so Crazier.
0: frustrating.
2: It, and I, I guess I have the privilege of saying it's so frustrating as opposed it's to, too. I mean, it's obviously it's so much it brings up so much outrage. Yeah. Um, but like, God, I wish there was a, you know, I think it's yeah. so hard for people who just like want police to be accountable, want humans to be accountable, want, and it's like, it feels like such a big task, but I love so much how you framed it
1: mm. as
0: the
2: marathon and not the sprint. Cause I feel like it almost That's right. it, it makes it a little easier to continue moving forward, even though I feel like you can hit a stumbling block every Or a not a stumbling block, like a brick wall right. <laughs> every step forward, but it's really important. I feel like if we all keep our eyes on the top of the hill. That's right. We will, and we keep moving forward, that that's what we can all do.
0: Exactly. Right? Yeah. What you're saying it's it is, that's what we all have to think of. Like, cause I get overwhelmed too. I get exhausted. I get like, you know, uh, whatever. But what I always try to remind all of us is that we're all here. We're all yeah. here.
3: Having
2: mm-hmm. the conversation.
0: And we're not going anywhere. We're not going anywhere. Mm-hmm. We, and, and this is a righteous fight. This is a good, this is the good fight. Mm-hmm. This is the good trouble, the necessary trouble. What did he say? It's not a, you know, it's not a struggle for a day, a month, a year. It's a struggle for a lifetime. Mm-hmm. And it's the good struggle, right? This is the good. When he walked across that, when John Lewis walked, walked across that bridge at 25 years old in Selma, he thought I may die. <laughs> I may die. But if I do, I die for the greater good. We need to start thinking about the greater good. I'm not encouraging everybody to go out and, you know, do things that might <laughs> cause them injury, you know, not anything. But if there's a, a way that we can, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. just think about the greater good, how, how you want your children to grow up in a world. Like, I, 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 I don't think I'm going to see it. I, I hope that my, like, I, I hope that your youngest child, Heidi, sees it. I hope that the other the other two do, but I, I, but please, please let it at least be for him. Do you know yeah and I, I, and I have to I have to remind myself to have hope, because if we don't have hope, you know my husband did a, a film in South Africa, and I remember hanging out with some of the locals who were the crew, and at one point we were having a conversation and a, a plane flew above above, and he looked up. And then he went, I always want to go on a plane. I don't think I ever go on a plane. I never go on a plane. And it hurt me because I realized that he, he, he didn't even have the hope or the dream or the thought that he could get on a plane, mm-hmm. that he saw his world as a small world that somebody else has dictated for them. Mm-hmm. We can't do that. We can't, we can't um, drink that Kool-Aid. We need to have a bigger picture. We need to see the whole. We have to think of Mother Earth. You know, she created all these different types mm-hmm. of, you know, vegetation and, and animals and all this kind of stuff to create a, a beautiful, bountiful world. We are part of that product. We are supposed to be here. Mm-hmm. We can contribute. And the best that way that we can do that is to be allies, to keep our eyes open to watch out for your neighbors, to stand up for your neighbors, to fight the good fight, to get into necessary trouble, good trouble, and to keep that voice loud and and, and clear and have time and patience for those of our, our friends who are rigid and, or it's not even that, who are fearful mm-hmm. of change, to sort of be able to enlighten them that, it's the change that we're about to, that we're trying to achieve will benefit them. It's going to benefit them. It's not going to take away. Mm-hmm. It's only going to feed this beautiful cacophony of colors and shapes and sizes and all that stuff that, that, that we call our world and our, you know, and, and human race.
3: Beautiful, and, and this is why we're here. We want to continue yes. to have these tough conversations on Off the Gram. It's so important to us, and thank you for helping us put some words to it and, and sharing what you're doing. It's, it's very inspiring, and, and that was a great place for us to kind of kind of touch down. We always finish with two little, two quick lightning rounds, and it's a, a fun way to kind of lighten the mood at the end of this and just have a little <laughs> bit of fun. So I'm going to ask you three quick questions. Are you
0: okay? Okay. I guess I. So.
3: Uh-huh. Okay. Morning or evening workout? Morning. Yeah. What is your favorite workout?
0: Spin. I know. <laughs>
3: Ooh, yep. <I'm laughs> That's, right how <laughs> That's how we met. That's how we met. Right. And
0: uh, coffee,
3: tea, or matcha?
0: Um, tea, but actually I start the morning with lemon water.
3: You're oh, so I like to say I that I do, and then and then I don't, <laughs> and then I have some sort of like a sugar-free energy drink, and then I feel bad.
0: <laughs> I would I would like to one thing that I um, to leave with as well, um, and it's another quote from John Lewis, but it's something that he told his staff. They said it at his memorial, and I really love it. I really I, I I'm teaching an um an acting class uh, audition workshop class, and I've I've given it to them to sort of as their um you know, theme or mantra or something that they want to focus on doing. But I, I think it's something that's applicable to life and how is we address life. Is it going to be our I, karma call? Yeah. It might be. This is, it's so, it's so good. It's just so clear. It's just so good. He said, and I just feel like it, it's applicable to every single stage in our life. He said, be kind, be mindful, be particular, make it plain, make it simple, make it sing. And I just, I think that's, that's it right there. If we could just be kind to ourselves, to each other. We can be mindful of the things that we say and we do. We can be particular with what we choose to do, support our actions. Make it plain so you don't have to explain it. Make it simple so everybody can understand it and then make it sing out to the rafters. Mm. I feel
1: like so. I have to go. Karma call, That was definitely <laughs> it. You, you and got the last, it. That was hey, the last rafters.
2: segment. You did it before we asked <laughs> you. <was> yeah.
3: <laughs> Michelle, thank you so much thank you for joining Absolutely. us today this was unbelievable Absolutely. and uh Absolutely. and thank you everybody for tuning in and listening to this powerful voice today don't forget to subscribe so you never miss an episode of off the gram and don't forget to follow us on the gram at off the gram podcast we will see you next time thank thank you, thank you. Yay. you so
0: much you guys,